If you're out there and you're thinking about, hey, I want to get two puppies at the same time, and you have to consider what that means to you. What does it mean to have two puppies at the same time? Are you getting it because you're super busy, so you get the two pups to fulfill each other's time? That's a bad idea. Are you thinking, oh, but my pup's going to be on its own. I want it to have a sibling around so it has fun with it and it can play. I'm, I'm really busy. I can't walk so much, so I get two puppies so they can exercise themselves and make them make each other tired. I get two puppies because I've always had two puppies at the same time and it's worked out really well. Like There's all these different reasons why we decide to get two puppies at the same time. What I think is you get a puppy, you raise that puppy up until he's about a year and a half, two years old. He's more the dog that you wanted him to be and what you've expected. That was your goals. Then you can introduce another puppy. And then as they grow, they learn to be cool with each other. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host, Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host, Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? Morning. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. Yeah, we're doing the next installment of Puppies 101. Yes, there we are today. We've got two topics that I want to discuss and... Um, Two of them are kind of opposite to each other, but it's all about puppies, so it'd be beneficial for everyone. Yeah. First one we're going to talk about is how what to expect when you're out walking with your puppy. Yeah. So walking with your pup up to roughly about that six months age. And we're also going to talk about if you guys are thinking about getting two puppies at the same time, the pros and cons to, to all of that. Right. Because when you're walking a puppy, obviously expecting um, what you should expect or not expect of the dog is pretty different to once it's an adult, right? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah. Side note, I had a, um, a friend of mine say, you got to stop saying 100% all the time. And I've realized that I say it all the time only when I'm, we've got the microphone in front of my face. 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Now, look, it's um, if you have a puppy, obviously a puppy's a baby. So, if you have a baby puppy and you're expecting your puppy to act like an adult dog, well, then you're already behind the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so, like expecting a baby child to... A baby human to ex- to act like an adult human. Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah. I said it again. God damn it! <laughs> so, <laughs> now um, that you, you, you're just going to be saying it the whole time. Well, I think like in episode three, I kept on saying um, and I've corrected my umness, and I don't think I say it anywhere near as much as I was saying it before. So I'm going to get better at this. Okay, self discipline, right? Yeah. And um, so let's go from right from the beginning. What what do we? What are the tools that we're going to use when we're walking with a puppy? So. What I've been using more so lately is using um, the Spawn Ultimate Control Harness is what they call it. So the brand is Spawn and the the characteristics of the harness is very important. And again, we must have mentioned about this in our episode 3 and 11 of talking about puppies. However, it's important to choose the right style of harness. So the harness that I prefer to use is that Spawn one. Also, the ROGS H harness is good as well. And the reasons why is because the way that it's that is designed has adjustments around the rib cage, but it can also have adjustments around the shoulders as well. And so, what does that do? So, if so, a lot of the heart, there's so many What's different sorts of harness. That? Is that it? It prevents the dog from slipping out as easy. Mm. So, a lot of them you can see like they got real cushiony, nice um, 
like patterns it's on like it and things like plate. that. It's yeah. like a chest plate sort of thing. No, the chest, there's so many different ones. So one, like the more cheaper one that you get that's normally from like, you know, Kmart or something, they only have the adjustment around and there's this big um, padded thing around the neck and around the chest. And what happens is if the puppy goes to like pull back, so if you're walking across the road and the puppy wants to smell something or gets a bit scared and hits the brakes, what happens is when the dog goes a pull backwards, their elbows become in line with their ribs, which then means if you have no adjustability around the, the shoulders there and around the, the belly appropriately, that just slips off like a T-shirt. Yeah, right. Then you got your puppy off the lead out, out in public. So it's very important that we have – like the one that we that I, that I use, so those two brands that I mentioned before, they hook up underneath the, the armpits there basically. I don't think any harness is 100% escape-proof. Because um, for many different reasons, depending on the on the dog and the size and how it's pulling, etc. But um, but that's one characteristic you want to make sure that it fits on the dog. And that's properly. why overall, for an adult dog, you prefer a martingale collar. Right? That's right. They can't. The martingale collar. One of the the characteristics to that is that it does tighten up before it can come off the dog's head. So for safety, that's why that has to be used. So the same thing when we're thinking about about the harness. Also, the good thing about the the spawn harness here is that. And there's many different brands of spawn harness. So don't just get the spawn harness. Make sure it's the ultimate control harness is what they call it because it has the option of clipping on the chest as well as having the option of clipping on the back. And having on the front there, what happens is when the puppy starts to pull and get a little bit more excited about the walk and a bit stronger, we want to be able to discourage excessive pulling. So um, so having them on the back is good when they first start, eight weeks, between eight and like 12 weeks old generally, again, depending on breed. Um you know, so you want, maybe for smaller dogs? Well, like not really smaller dogs, just how confident the dog is. Because right. if we go first day, clip it on the front, and the puppy goes to walk, if they're just still learning what a harness is, like we've got it, you've got to put the harness on the puppy, and it, for it to get used to it, they're going to start scratching it, biting at it. Spades um, has dropped a nice little fart for us he? as well. Yeah, I can smell it. Pretending it's not you. Spades. <laughs> oh. Obviously, Spades and Nookie have joined us today. He had um, raw beef last night, so that's yeah, what you're it's smelling. pretty raw. <laughs> I'm going to open this door a little bit. <laughs> it <stinks>. <laughs> We'll fan it in spades, <laughs> and um, yeah. So, if a puppy's like still getting used to the sensations of of wearing a harness, what happens is if we have it on the front and it pulls them off balance, they're just going to freak them out a little bit more. So we don't want that. We yeah. want them to be confident. Yeah. Oh, and what I like from a puppy is for them to be pulling at the end of that harness um, before we start clipping it on the front. There, that's more for the mental side of things. The puppy's engaged with the environment. He's starting to get confident. These are all good things. Yeah. Because then from there, we can then start teaching the dog how we want it to behave on the lead. So there's kind of different stages of when you should do what with um with the walking. So in a whole, when it comes to puppies, when I talk about puppies, generally in these sort of conversations, we're talking up to six months, yeah. five and six months old. Anything over six months, your dog's still young, but I'm not going to call it a puppy. It's it's um only because then how do we determine a, a, a four-month-old puppy or an eight-month-old dog? Mm. They're still young, but- they're so Adolescent different. sort of. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so under six months old, we walk on harnesses. And the reasons why we walk on harnesses compared to walking a puppy on collars is we don't, because the puppy's still developing, we don't want to be putting unnecessary pressure on their neck by having them on a collar. Um, having them straight on a flat collar, a puppy can still slip out of it or the, or the little buckle can break and things like that. More, more important, even though obviously a puppy can hurt themselves, it's so much less likely for a pup to hurt their neck What's more likely for a for a puppy to desensitize themselves to a collar? So they pull, 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 and they become so used to the collar that when it gets to when they get to around six, 
six months and over when it's time for us to use a training collar. They've had so much experience and success with pulling on the end of the collar and they become so desensitized they don't care about yeah. it anymore and it becomes harder to you work on that control. Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So having that harness on gives them the ability to not have any pressure on their neck and they're pulling. So we get them out and about, they start getting confident. And again, as we know, and as we mentioned heaps of times in the podcast, is that you got to get your puppies out and about as early as possible. You first get your puppy, get them on the harness, start walking them down the driveway, around the block. We do did, this. Sorry, we did speak with Glenn the other week um, yep. from the Canine Paradigm. And as we all know, we're living in a very <clears throat> new world at the moment with COVID-19. And, and he did say like, you know, that was one of the biggest takeaways from that episode was, you know, it, it is very hard at the moment um, to do proper socialization yeah. because of the restrictions that are placed on us. And you're not going to come across as many dogs probably mm-hmm. out and about. And really, you, you shouldn't be out just sort of out and about at the moment anyway. So, yeah. What's your take on that? Um, get your puppies out as much as possible. Don't let there be an excuse of why you don't do it. Um, if you're walking a dog, you're exercising. So, that's depending on where you live in Sydney, we're allowed to do it. And everyone's got their puppies out because no one, like everyone's got their dogs out. No one's going anywhere. The, the, the hard thing can be that because we have social distancing that we can't really hang out with each other. But I'm sure there's still opportunities as you're walking down the street, you see it, you, like your puppy sees dogs. And, and um, if you have your neighbor that has a dog, you can still hang out at a social distance while letting the puppies have an experience. Mm. You know, so there's there's ways around it if you are obviously appropriate and being responsible. Um, but you just think about the consequences later down the track if we don't socialize them in that critical period is very, very important. So have a generation of COVID puppies i think yeah saying that as well you yeah know, like definitely if you, and you got a puppy now and and they miss that critical period in terms of the proper socialization that's the issues that you're going to be dealing with down the track and maybe i just thought about this now is that well we, we see puppies issues all the time people aren't taking their dogs out until their last vaccination because of the vet's re- um, recommendation so they're doing that regardless of coronavirus or not it's um p- people don't do it unless someone, like they listen to episodes like this or if, if the dog trainer tells them and informs them about this critical period. So if you don't know what, what we're talking about, listen to episode three. They'll go through all of that. I'm not going to go through it again. Um, but very important to get them out and about. And your puppy just has to have a, a natural, I mean, a neutral or a good experience around other dogs. So your, your neighbor's got a dog, your friend's got a dog, your family friend's got a dog. Go for little walks together. Get them used to each other. Let them have experiences. So that they don't have to have anything crazy time. It just needs to be as much exposure as possible. So when you got them on that harness, you're not choking them out. You're not desensitizing them to their neck. And having the harness is good for safety. So when do we know to switch from the back of the harness to the front of the harness is depending on where your puppy's at. So if your puppy's on the clipped on the back and, he start, and he's happy to go and he, then he starts, let's just say he's a German Shepherd puppy. He's getting to around four and a half months and he's starting to get a little bit too much on the end of the lead and jumping around and biting your legs and between your legs and all that, then you may want to get a little bit of control. And again, remember, there's no loose lead walking for puppies. You probably can, but I don't teach it because I don't want to crush the puppy's confidence and confuse them before they they are um, cognitive enough to understand. Because not only do they have to learn a complex skill of walking next to you, they have to also deal with all the things in the environment they have to deal with excitement, getting their energy out, and their lack of ability to think because they're so young, and um, and there's so much to it. So let's not crush puppies by making them 
walk next to us. What we want to do is get them to just know what the what the world's about. But ne- but this times are times for building those foundations. So um, I just put a video up. Well, I put it up yesterday. By the time you guys listen to it, it'll be a couple of weeks away. If you just go back um, on Nutris Pooch's Instagram, you see that there's a video I put up going, why do we walk dogs on the left-hand side? Um, and check that video out. And it goes for a minute. We just talk about a couple of the benefits. Some of the benefits are that um, I'm right-handed, so I use my right hand to reward, open doors, shake hands, answer my phone, etc. So I want my right hand to be free while my left hand's handling the dog. But also in Australia, we walk on the left-hand side of the path. So as I walk down the street, I want him on the outside. So I'm the buffer between any other dogs and people. And um, I can act as a bit of a barrier, but also we don't have dogs jumping on each other and potential issues that can come from there. And also you just don't want to be annoying. Do you reckon so, Americans walk on the right side of the road, the right side of the path? I don't know if anyone's listening. Please, please inform us. Well, I know according, in- according to Podbean, like about 20% of our listeners come from America. So hit us yeah, up. Hit us up. Let me know. I, th- I think that'll be um, cool. I know in Europe they do. Let us know on Instagram or Facebook. Or yeah. yeah. Um, in, um, in Europe, I know they definitely walk on the right-hand side. So mm. in that little video that I put up, we're talking about when I was in um, Croatia and I met up with my brother-in-law. He had his two Jack Russells. They originally were born here and then he shipped them to Germany. Then he met us in Croatia as a surprise, which was cool. And when I was walking, I had him on the le- like just natural, had both the dogs on my left-hand side. And he mentioned to me, how about you walk them on the right-hand side? Because see how now we're walking down the right-hand side of the path. They're going on and, and blah, blah, blah. And because he, I informed him about the rules about the left-hand side, but then now he you know, countered that by now saying, well, now you're on the other side of the world and we walk on different sides. Think about that. I'm like, far out. I never thought of that. So, that, that, so in, in that case... That kind of goes against my my right hand theory, right? I've got my right hand is my strong hand, but you may need to adjust accordingly. But just think about if I'm walking a puppy and the puppy wants to jump on everybody mm. and I'm walking past an old grandma, why should I have my puppy on the right hand side where it jumps on somebody? Another thing from there is that we have the left hand side so that it's just consistently the left hand side. I have clients that go, I have to do the right hand side. I've got a shoulder injury. I'm like, so then you have to do the right. But as long as you stick with the whatever side yeah. and stick it there because- if you don't, then you have a puppy crisscrossing you between your legs up under um up under different things and wrapping around your legs, all this different craziness. Potential issues for there. First of all, it's super annoying. Number two is that it's dangerous for not you and for your dog and also dangerous for everybody else. And the reasons why is that if your puppy goes up under your feet and you squash its leg, then you've broken its leg. Mm. You try not to step on your puppy, you trip over um, and then you hurt yourself. Or if your dog keeps dashing between here and there, he may run up to the wrong dog or run up to something and then get itself in danger. So keep it consistent. These are the some of the foundations of, of walking. And then also we want to try to keep the pup next to us. I say next to us, not like super in line, eye in line with my leg. Be focused on me. If I slow down, you slow down. Like if you can master some moments of this, then awesome for you. But right now, just hold the lead relatively short, have food with you, and just try to encourage good behavior. Once the puppy's getting too much a handle on the back, so we have to remember one thing about harnesses. Harnesses were developed for dogs to pull sleds. So we strap the harness on the back of the dog's harness. As soon as I pull back when the dog's pushing in front. Oppositional reflex, right? Exactly. <clears throat> the dog will then start pulling ahead. And then the more pressure you put on, the more it, um, the dog starts to run ahead. And that seems counterintuitive. I'm trying to pull the dog back. The dog's now trying to push forward. So let's just say you're holding the, the dog, your puppy next to you, but then he's, again, this doesn't have to be about a German Shepherd. You can even have a Cavoodle that's pulling really hard on the lead and getting annoying. So um, it's not really about size or weight. It's more about 
um, the energy of it. Like, how does it feel? So if your puppy's like really pulling, pulling, pulling intensely, we clip it on the front. What happens is the dog runs up ahead naturally, just holding the lead at a certain length. The dog gets to the end of it and it pulls them off balance. And that pulling them off balance works really well. It's unpleasant, right? It's unpleasant. Yeah. It becomes confusing for the puppy and they learn, oh, well, I don't really want to get pulled off my off balance, so I'm going to stay next to you. And when the dog's next to you, you're rewarded. Um, on my YouTube channel, I put a video up of me demonstrating this for the first time with like a, he's called a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. That's a mouthful. First time, first time I've seen one of those. Canadian, dogs. eh? Um, yeah, one of, it looks a little bit like a, like a border collie. Right. But was used as a retriever dog. So um, hunting, yeah. So mm. like you know when they shoot the duck, and they go out and retrieve it. So um, really cool, smart puppy. And at that stage, we clipped it on the front, and it worked really well. I just saw him recently. The dog's now eight months old. He's now getting off the harness, and I introducing the the martingale collar. And he said, and the problem with the front clip harness, hence why I don't use it generally when the dogs get older. Depending on the dog, it could be a sweet little dog that isn't really too pulling, and the front clip harness works really well. Or if we have like a um, uh, I always say the name wrong, brachophilic, and I don't think I say that right. Oh, is that like a you mean like a Frenchies, Frenchies and generally Frenchies, squashed, squashed nose, squashed That's face. Right. Yeah. yeah, I want to look that up and Glenn make sure. Glenn said it on the. He said it when we were talking to him the other day. Yeah, and he said it differently. Yeah. I don't know if I've been butchering the word or or means the same, but you get my point. Is that if I have a little Frenchie and you can't put a collar on the dog because he's got soft palate issues and you can't breathe at the best of times, the front clip harness may be the best thing for right. you. So, um, but basically. Just like with most dogs, they learn as they get older because they become more savvy and they become stronger. They go, well, I just walk at a 45-degree angle up the street. So, I'll still pull you, but the dog walking diagonally up the street is still pulling on the lead. And um, and because of that, that's when it stops losing its effectiveness. You can keep pulling it off balance and it doesn't care about it anymore. So, we need to change our technique mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, so, so, but it could still work for a smaller dog? Hundred percent. As an adult, I mean, like say something like some a dog like Nookie's size. Yeah. So, so in saying that, I had to have Nookie on a frankly harness for about a year and a half, about eight months ago. She so, had, was it a trachea? Yeah. Something happened yeah. with her neck there when I had a collar on. She just and she had that from when I acquired her. So something happened from from previous owners or something, mm. um, or maybe it's genetic. I don't know. But every time, like a little, and she was never really on a collar with the other uh, other owners. So as soon as a little bit of pressure went there, she's like, and she would like start choking. Yeah, right. So, um. For it to heal and give it some time, I had on the front clip harness. I use it. She's three kilos, man. Very, very easy to yeah, control. She's like a bottle of milk, you know. So she's um. So she was easy to, to deal with. But now she's on a martingale collar. She doesn't ever put any pressure on the end of the, of the collar. She doesn't pull, mm-hmm. and I prefer that because I'll just be honest. I just got the little collar on her all the time. It's easy for me to click it on and go yeah, for right. a walk. But also, um, she's got it on there. Yeah. yeah, I always want to be able to control the dog's. That's head. the same one we have on Chloe. Yeah. Where there's, there's a small, there's the extra small one. It, has, it doesn't have a chain. The whole thing is fabric. It's all fabric. Yeah. yeah. It's a Kumalong brand. Yeah. Um, she's on the mini and then there's a petite, which is a like next size up. So, um, so she's pretty small. But the reason why I want the collar is because she can still slip out of that, that harness at, at, at any time. Um, having a clip on the front, it's harder for a puppy to escape out of the harness. Having on the back, it's a lot easier. Because think about it, if they're pulling back away from the harness, and you're pulling forward. Away from the direction of being yeah, pulled. Yeah. It slips off. Yeah. Where on the front, if they pull, it's there still, and it can't slip off from the back. So, um, but yeah, so, and the reason why we walk with collars with adult dogs, because we want to control the head, and we want the dog to feel the pressure rather than on, on its body. You've got an American Staffy. I just saw one the other day. The d- guy is jacked, full high on life, and he's super strong. And they the had the owner, f- you mean? 
No, the dog. Oh, the dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> the owners were like fit, yeah, cool yeah, guys yeah. too, cool people too, like couple. Um, but they had the dog on a front clip harness. It just cut underneath his armpits, like he was bleeding from the front clip harness. Oh shit! So I had to show him how to use a martingale collar, and they were like fully wrapped about. Actually, that's the dog. When I'm talking in that video about the left hand okay, side, so yep. if you want to look at that, yeah. Um, but he was walking very nicely. Um, still obviously a lot of work to do when he did one session, but control that head, you can control the body. For a puppy, you're not controlling nothing. You're just managing the puppy. Management, management, management. We talk about it all the time. And it was a good affirmation. It was a good um, – um, it was positive for me to hear a video of Michael Ellis talking the other day and some of the things that he was speaking about in regards to puppy raising are, are very much the same as what I've been saying. Whether I've been influenced by him and people that watch him and that we're all in the same kind of um, school of thought together, or we're all thinking on the same levels of thought and we're all in the same direction. Obviously, I would see him, even if I've never met him, I've learned a lot from him. But um, but he said, man- like, all of dog training is management. It's good management. You're managing everything, and management creates good behavior over time. Um, you manage yourself instead of getting wasted every night. You manage your time. You drink water. Then you're looking after yourself. So results come from management. I've got a little management anecdote with Talk regards to, to a puppy. So a friend has a um, cavoodle. It's probably mm, I'm gonna say six months old now. Mm-hmm. I saw him the other day. He goes, "Oh, he goes. I just spent the weekends at the vets." I said, "Oh yeah, what happened?" He goes, "The dog was in the yard and he's eaten a, a small pebble." And they didn't mm. know. And then he just he like started- a rock. Yeah, a rock. Yeah. And he, you know, started showing signs of being sick. He wouldn't eat his food. Da, 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 mm. da. So they, like, shit. So, they took him to the vet, did an x-ray. Yeah, he swallowed a rock. It was a block. But it was too big to pass. Yeah. So, you know, three three or four grand later, going to have an operation. I yep. said to him, you know, not trying to rub his nose in it. I said, but, you know, well, where, how did the dog- Eat the rock. Was he unsupervised? Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, man, I can't watch the dog 24-7. I said, well, what's easier, mm-hmm. managing the dog in some on some level or paying $4,000 to have the dog surgery? For sure. You know what I mean? Mm. Look, I think- No one's perfect, obviously. I, yeah, totally. I, I feel for him. And obviously, you don't want the dog to be sick. And you don't want people to have to spend a lot of money on unnecessary surgery. Exactly. But maybe there could have been better management. Well, look, like if if you've seen the puppy eating rocks- and there's heaps of rocks in your backyard, that there is like, well, you know what to do. You mm-hmm. have to remove all those rocks. Otherwise, as you said, so you, you removing the rocks and making the place rockless or you block it off different ways, remove them all or section things off or section up, have the puppy in a certain section of the yard. When you're, Like all these things of management, whether you don't let the puppy be unsupervised or whether you make that place 100% puppy-proof. Mm. If you've seen the dog... Now, sometimes he's like, I don't know, the rocks are there and the puppy's never touched it and happened to be this one time, for sure. And I get it too because it could happen to anything. It could happen and a slug comes out of nowhere and a dog eats it and gets some um, meningitis. You know what I mean? Like, how do you make that happen? You know, like, you know, shit happens. But, um, but yeah, you're right, management. You know, like, you should know that that's a possibility. If I see lots of little rocks and the dog chews a lot of things, because it's not like it's the first time I chewed something. Mm. Obviously, it's chewing a lot of things, and you can see the excessiveness. Then you have to work accordingly. I totally agree. Um, when you're out on the walk, you're doing the same thing. You're just managing the puppy in every single circumstance to make good experiences for that first six months of its life. In particular, 17 weeks, up to 17 weeks, but it still furthers on all the time. And um, don't walk your puppy on a, on a collar. In saying that, now I'm going to go against that to say, have the puppy, like, let your puppy wear a collar with its tag and details. 
You want to wear a, um, have a collar on the puppy so you can grab it whenever you need it to. Um, and get the collar on there from time to time just so it has some yeah. sensation of it, not enough to be desensitized and pulling on it, but you may want to quickly whack it on the collar to take it out the front to go tall and come back in. But like when it comes to walking, um, no, we want to have it on that. Mm. And um, and you, there's other brands that have the ability to clip on the front. Just some of them just slip on too easily. That if you can slip off very slip on easily, it will slip, slip off, off easily. easily. Yeah. So just make sure that everything's nice and tight. Every every time you put a harness on, it's hugging them, not tight where you're choking them out, but enough for it to be like you know that. And this sounds bad, but when you have the harness on, you pick the puppy up in the air, and then naturally it's going to for like vertical and you can see can that harness hold it up underneath its arms and if it can slip right off then you think about it you're walking down the street and a big dog comes and it's like holy shit you lift your puppy up in the air to grab it and you don't want to slip out out, and then it gets eaten by the dog again just example but think about that you may need to pick your puppy up emergencies it's just life and you should be able to pick a puppy on the heart you're picking them up by their body not their neck Mm. so that's a little bit about walking just a recap is don't set your puppy up for failure. Make sure that when you're out and about, um, you got the right tools on. you got your puppy next to you on the chosen side. I would choose to walk on the left-hand side. You have food with you. You're rewarding. Um, Pick the right harness. Right harness. So, so again, so just recapping. So, it's one that's um, ROGS, was it? ROGS is one of them, but I've been more so using Spawn Ultimate Control Harness. Spawn, sorry. Yeah. So, so they're adjustable at several points. Yeah. Around the, because what happens is how you put it on. See, a lot of them, there's another style, it's called a step in harness. So you put on the floor, the puppy steps into it, and then you click it on. Those ones are super easy to slip off. Right. Um, where this one. So easy on, easy off is a basic yeah, principle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because what happens is when I'm putting this, um, this spawn one on, I have to, I have to, because the head's a lot bigger than the neck. So we have to loosen the shoulder for it to come onto the dog's head. Then we've got to adjust the shoulder to be nice and tight again, um, the shoulder strap. So that way there, it, it's harder for it to slip off. Then you clip it underneath. So you have to clip it off and then the head has to come through. Again, there's heaps of times even wearing these harnesses where I see the puppy can kind of slip out, especially if they're very like lean little puppies. So make sure it's really tight. And you got to make sure that if the puppy's putting the brakes on backwards and you have it clipped on the back, make sure you're not pulling so hard where it can slip off. So instead of pulling the dog towards you, if you need to put pressure on, pull it upwards. Harder for it to slip off. A couple little techniques there. But just think about it. Just look at the harness. And now that you're aware of this, now you're going to start to see it. Um, and having on the front, we'll start discouraging, building some foundations. And, of course, when we've talked about in previous episode, the structured walk, we talk about what we want from a structured walk. Um, I still put puppies on the long lead. So um, obviously you wouldn't walk a puppy as long as you walk an adult dog. So let's just say if I've gone for half an hour walk, 10 minutes on the short lead, stay on my left-hand side, etc. We go to the park, put you on the long lead, people play sniff, have fun. Then we do the walk back. So 20-20-20 becomes 10-10-10. That's it. Or 5-5-5. Exactly. Split it up into thirds, basically. Yep. With the reason why I always do the 20-20-20 is because I want people to be walking. Yeah. One hour a day. For an adult. That'd be nice. So, puppy, um, you were going to aim, say, 15 to 30 minutes. They say like five minutes per month old that they are. Okay. So, if you're eight weeks old, you can be going for around that 10 minutes. And again, puppy's more energy. You can go a little bit longer if it's hot. These all t- um, play Common parts, sense. you know. Yeah. And um, and if you can go a little bit longer, don't thrash your puppy, though, and give them too much. And also, just another thing is if you have pe- um, larger breeds, German Shepherds in particular, um, Roddies, you know, things that are a bit more stronger build. Don't be running them. Uh, don't run them on hard surfaces like going for a run run um, up until 
and don't do it before one year old because they're still joints. developing, right? Yeah. yeah, they're developing their joints and you start running for 5Ks on the concrete, he's going to screw everything up. Okay. So, like, obviously the puppy's going to run. Puppies run. But um, And when breeders say, don't let the puppy run until he's a year old, it's like, he's a German Shepherd puppy. You think he's not going to be running around? What they mean is they don't go Hard for, like, surface. big, long yeah. runs, runs. And, like, of course, they're going to bolt from place to place or no running stairs and things like that until they're developed. Um. So that's a little bit about walking with a puppy. I think I've kind of covered everything. Yep. If anything else comes up, I'll just remind myself. But um, but yeah, just don't put, don't crush your puppy, and also don't let the puppy just, God knows what, put them on a flexible and let them run everywhere. That could be good for building lots of confidence. But you have a very annoying puppy, and everyone's going to find you annoying when you're walking down the street. And if you don't, if that's you that like- anthropomorphism again, isn't it? It's that um, it's like oh, I got a puppy. Like I don't want to. I don't. Let's just like let it run free and like just let it do what it's want do what it wants and it's like well that's what creates problems yeah man. it's the it's, the fact that we have developed no structure it's no not boundaries. a human it's a dog and even with bait like a human baby well mm. you can't just go out and be like well that's no another <laughs> don't get me started on you that. know what I mean? that's a whole other issue the yeah. people that don't control their kids but. yeah it's like because we think oh we want them to have the freedom and to be confident i get it yeah freedom and confidence give them some give them some space to to be themselves, I get it, but you, but you need to have structures, man. Mm. If you don't have anything in place, then that's where we start seeing issues later, separation-related issues, fear aggression issues, um, you know, just annoying dog issues. Just don't have an annoying dog, you know what I mean? So, of course, a puppy's a puppy and you need to live with its puppiness for the first year and a half, two years of its life. That's just what happens. Mm. But um, And give it some freedom, but also when you're doing particular things, again, remember, you want to set yourself up for success in the future. So... It's all about building focus and engagement on you. You be the most important thing in your puppy's life, period, wherever you are. That's really, really important. And how do you do that? Well, there's many different ways of doing it. Um, and don't screw up. Don't go for a walk where the puppy's super young without something high value on you. Have your food with you. Have his little tug toy or something to get the puppy's engagement on you, um, especially when there's things that are difficult, like the garbage truck. Make all these random noises and the puppy's like freaked out. Hey, pop, pop, pop. Get the puppy's attention. We start playing a little game. That will help desensitize it. Um, so people should obviously be looking to get themselves some sort of training pouch as well, right? A treat pouch. Yes, yes, and hire a dog trainer and get mm. some advice, and you know, and, and like an like a real dog trainer, like a qualified dog trainer will come to you, or mm. you go to them. They will go through all of these things because little things you oversee can be big things later. And you spend like you know, let's just say you spend a thousand bucks in the like of your training for the first two years of your dog's life, like. It seems like a lot of money, but it's like you see, like the things that can happen later, mm. we can avoid so many issues. You know, it's like it's nothing. When I say that, like I use that number is because roughly, you know, whatever you got for puppy training, like just because you've done puppy training doesn't mean your nine month old dog knows what to do, unless you're experienced yourself and you've gotten a bit of help and then you've adjusted it. But usually we do puppy training up to six months old and we do a few follow up sessions up until a year old and then we just go from there just to kind of keep the ball rolling and go now that the puppy's here, like with that. Um, retriever dog the other day he's like he was pulling man and he was like stop walking and he was getting a bit scared um not scared he was getting overwhelmed with so many things that were happening is because he was b- bouncing around everywhere super excited which is awesome i like that sense of confidence where he has a little bit of foundation there putting the martingale collar on and going through the technique it just happened like that the dog's like whoa what are we doing now and we're still following the same structure but now we're putting a little bit more rules attached to it give that another couple of months and now we've got 
a dog that walks on a loose lead, walking past people and dogs with no dramas. Yeah. And that's what we want. So um, next thing we want, I wanted to discuss today, and it's like, and it really gets me all worked up sometimes. So a bit of a rant topic. Isn't a it? little bit of a rant topic. And I think we've mentioned a little bit of this in, in another But it's episode. good because it's a very common it's issue. becoming more and common. It, and I would say, again, it's a... <laughs> It's a bit of an anthropomorphic thing because you're you're putting human values on onto dogs by assuming that it would be a good thing for two puppies to to have to be each other's friends. And, yes. you know what I mean. But you're really just creating a lot of work for yourself. Yeah, we'll talk about the cons first, then we will talk about the pros. Now I'm saying this in front of this microphone. I'm sure I've talked about all of this before, but I think it's so important that it's worth talking about again. So, um, if you're out there and you're thinking about, hey, I want to get two puppies at the same time. Um, and you have to consider what that means to you. What does it mean to have two puppies at the same time? Are you getting it because you're super busy, so you get the two pups to fulfill each other's time? That's a bad idea. Um, are you thinking, oh, but my pup's going to be on its own. I want it to have a sibling around so it has fun with it and it can play. I'm, I'm really busy. I can't walk so much, so I get two puppies so they can exercise themselves and make them make each other tired. Um, I get two puppies because I've always had two puppies at the same time and it's worked out really well. Like there's all these different reasons why we decide to get two puppies at the same time. What I think is, and the best way that I see it is you get a puppy, you raise that puppy up until he's about a year and a half, two years old. He's more the dog that you wanted him to be um, and what you've expected, that was your goals. And then you can introduce another puppy and then as they grow, they learn to be cool with each other. That's the best way. Stagger it a little bit. Yeah, and, mm. and the reason why is do you think- Because a one-year-old dog is still an adolescent, right? An adolescent right. is still- and so you can, they can still be reasonably close in age, but they don't have to be from the same litter or- No, you know Ace I mean? and Spades are like, they were legit brothers. They were a year apart from yeah. each other, but um, but they obviously before Ace got sick, um, they played and had fun and they did everything together. Like everything was awesome. So um, I'm not against like multiple dog homes. I just, and I'm not even against getting two puppies at the same time. Just know what you're getting yourself into. So it doesn't make it twice as hard to own two puppies. It makes it four times as hard mm. because not only is it double the work of like obviously double the poo to pick up and double the feeding, whatever. That's like takes nothing. It's the fact that they motivate each other. They're in competition with each other. Mm. So then when one does one thing, the other one does something. So then you don't like you get more of a mess because they're in competition rather than a puppy just chewing the skirting boards because it's bored. And um, and also, the cons that can come from it is we start seeing a lot of separation-related distress. You take, if the puppies spend their whole time with, whole life with each other, then you start, and then you have to take one out without taking the other. We start seeing the puppy starting to fret and then freak out. So, second thing is that we see resource guiding issues, and it's usually around bones or toys or food, mm. normally at around eight months old, especially bully breeds. Like, I think, and this is just from my experience and not that I've calculated the statistics, every time I hear a, and I go see a client that have two staffies or two bully breeds at the same time from the litters, at eight months old, it's the time where they fight over a bloody bone or a toy or something and a fight um, break um, happens and eight times out of ten, the, um, we separate the puppies. Like um, they get rid of one of them? Yeah. Yeah, right. It has to happen yeah. unless you just manage them both and not let them be with each other or you – like, of course, there's a whole bunch of things that can be worked on and mm. it can be improved for sure. But if you're saying I get two puppies at the same time because I have no time, 
but then you need to now resolve all these issues or you got to fulfill the puppies and you got to start doing all these things that we're going to talk about now, then like you're, you're spending heaps more time. You're not spending less time. And then your puppies don't know how to be on its own as well. So it's not, um, not super ideal. What I would, so let's, how do we combat this? So if you are fully committed, you're like, no, 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 I'm getting these two puppies. It's already happened. Oh, I already own two puppies. <laughs> Like, you know, you're probably best not to rehome it unless you have to and don't feel bad if you have to. But you got two puppies going, all right, this is what I have to do. Um, from super, super young, that your puppies need to learn how to be on its own for a certain amount of time. If you're crate training- Without awesome. the other puppy. Without the other puppy. Mm-hmm. So it has to live, like be for a certain amount of time completely on its own. Backyard, in its crate, in the pen, whatever. If you're crate training, the puppies don't sleep in the same crate together. They sleep in two separate crates, ideally- on top of each other or something where they can't, like they're not so butted up nice and close to each other. I prefer. So whether they can be like, hey, I'm on my own. I got to sleep. That is what it is. Um, out of seven days of, of the week of walking, I want you to like do two or three of those separate walks. If there's two of you in the family. One goes first, other one goes second. Split off, go different directions. Don't see each other. Don't meet up on the walk. You meet up when you're back at home. If it's just one of you, you take one out. You come back, take the other one out. And, and things like that. Start doing that from like day one sort of thing because your puppies have been, if they're siblings, they've been with each other since birth and they have spent no time apart from each other. You need to get this happening as much as possible. So, no matter what breed, we are, like it's just, it's natural. You, if, I, if, if we're born at the same time and then it's, we're, we're, we're 15, it's like, all right, now Luke disappeared. Of course, I'm going to fret. Like I'm, I'm, I need you to be with me. So very important that we start doing that. Um, in terms of resource guarding, you want to deal with their resource guarding by supervising resources. When you're feeding, there's no feeding from the same bowl. You feed from two separate bowls. You don't leave your bowl to the other ones. We stay in the middle and we separate them. We'll put them in backyard, kitchen, or like just separate them somehow if you can't stand there and supervise them. I prefer if they're there so they learn. If you've eaten your food, you're done. You can't go and come up to this one's food. There are times to share, but not so from the So you bowls. would have the bowls. You would have them in the same area, but- Managing it such I that- I just stay in the middle. Yeah. Or have two leads and they're back tied to two separate parts so they can't okay. swap They over. can't hassle each other, yeah. But then someone can disagree and say, yeah, but then they never, never learn to share things. So, yeah, we share things, but when they're from, from my hand and things like that, so I can control it a little bit. And doing training sessions together, you can start messing around like that. But I don't want one to be thinking they're eating and then the other one comes and just storms over and jumps over them and tries to steal the food, mm. especially- One might be more dominant than the other. One's stronger. It's a male dog. The other one's female and a little bit- um, a bit smaller and she thinks she has a fight or then they're swapping over. You don't know who's eating what, how much is this dog eating, how much, you know, oh, too many things, right? Especially if you need to set, give medication sometime and then they don't learn. You know, like there's so many reasons why. So just the best is that's your bowl. You eat like if me and you were eating like, like, all right, you take a chip. Yeah. You start eating all my food, <laughs> I'll stab you with my fork. Get your own chips, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, like it's just manners, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, when it comes to bones, same thing, even more important um, to do this. You have to be set, um, supervising them. If they're like little young puppies, five months old, and they're chewing on a chicken neck or something, be there. Don't let one of them dump it somewhere and go and steal it from the others. That's how we start having issues. Um, have a lead on them if you need to. Control them. Um, and Or if you can't supervise them and it's a longer-lasting treat or bone, then one in the front yard, one in the backyard, whatever, whatever. I don't care. Put one in the crate, let it eat its food, rotate them. Mm. When you're at the walk, give it to them. Like, get creative, guys. You know what I mean? Like, start thinking about it. Um, get two puppies at the same time if you're super experienced with puppies. Like, I think that's that's a good way to think of it as well. Like, if you if you know how to how to raise dogs and puppies, then then um 
then at least you're ahead of the game a little bit. I'm not saying that this is like the ba- the worst idea ever. This is just something to be aware of um, that all these things can start to arise. And on the positive sides, that if you do all of these things and you have two pups that are super close, they love each other's company, they play, they have the best time of their life, they both die at 14 years old and they had a nice fruitful life, they enrich the family, all good things. Like I'm not trying to be a... Um, a downer and, yeah. and you know like ah don't do it it's just about being honest about the situation I just see it? too many of it yeah. too much of it just not working Going out wrong yeah so so then and that's the reason why I say this um, I haven't had spades get freaked out we've talked about this before where Ace and Spades always walked always walked always walked together Ace started having his seizures he was about two years old so Spades was one I took Spades for a walk on his own he flipped out he was so anxious and he was like looking around and um, for Ace, obviously, yeah. I thought I was important. My God, Ace was ten times more important <laughs> than me. So, um, you learned something that I, massive. That yeah. was like the time where I'm like, wow, I didn't realize because how am I supposed to know unless mm. someone told me? And if they told me, I probably forgot about it. So, um, and they weren't even born together. And, and we're talking about you need to take one to the vet, and the other one's at home and screaming like a banshee and doesn't know how to be on its own because mm. it's been a year and a half. It's never been. And when you think about it. If you're taking one, you take the other one. Mm. Like, what's the big deal? Take one, take the other one. Like, what's the problem? So, you don't think about separating them unless we consciously do it. So, that's really, really important. Um, if you're not experienced, don't get two bully breeds at the same time. Just just save yourself the headache and just focus all your time and energy on one and then get the other one. Now, if you're worried about socialization stuff, just because they're socializing with each other doesn't mean that they're social with every dog. You still mm. got to do socialization, not just together with other dogs, but individually. Because you want to know what you are on your own, not always having mummy holding your side or your brother or your sister always being there to help you out. It's good for them to learn how to have social interactions with either with your sibling or on your own. And um, and when you're out on the walk, we were just talking about walking, so it may be hard to having them both on the left-hand side, even though I would. Um, you can have one on either side, but when they get older, loosely walking, both walk on the left-hand side. I think walking with two dogs in one, in two ha- separate hands is like super unrealistic. Mm. How do you lock your door mm. or answer your phone or get your keys out? There's going to be a time where you have to hold them outside. So, um, while I calibrate my thoughts, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it all, man. Like, mm. um, like you said, it's not necessarily always going to be a bad situation. Like you said, there's, there could be really positives to having two. Puppies, it's fun. Watch How, them. Oh, of course. However, mm. it seems to be, from what you're saying, seems to be the exception, not the rule. Yeah, you know, look like there's, there's there possibly more potential for it to be a lot more work than you'd anticipated, and for things to go wrong, and to harder to have what, like we were saying, have good management. That can be harder because you've compounded it by having. Yeah, one starts digging the hole and the other one digs a hole. If they were on their own digging the hole, it gets like you know thirty centimeters big. Mm. Two dogs digging the hole that becomes 90 centimetres big, not because there's double of them and it makes it 60. It's because they're like, you're digging, I'm digging, let's dig together. Yeah, it's ah. a competition. Yeah. Right? And that's fun too. You can watch that. And if you don't care about your yard, then it's like it's a fun thing to watch, mm. you know. Um, but, yeah, you, you you start to see that it's, it's not making your day any easier. Because mm. you still got to, like, again, remember, guys, you have a puppy or a dog and your dog runs around the backyard like a headless chicken running all over the place. That is not exercise. That is physical energy and and it is exercising it's not one level, stimulation but you're not exercising you know what i mean the kids can play in the playground for hours but you come back home and they're wound up they're not wound down 
give them a game of sport or a group activity or we're doing painting today or something. It's, it's funny, it's right? Different. Like, um, I've just literally the last two days my DTF course has started and I was, we, just this morning before we started recording, we're going through some of the materials yes. and we're looking at the complex skill mm-hmm. section, which is like the, the crux of the course. You, to pass the course, you have to teach a dog a complex skill, right? And the first thing it says is why teach a dog a complex skill? Well, day to day, just having a dog around, there's no mental stimulation for mm-hmm. the dog and that's mm-hmm. where issues can, can arise. Give you, the dog a job. You, like you said, you think, yeah, exactly. Go back and listen to that one, but- you think your dog just running laps around the yard? That's not that's not mental stimulation for it. You need something to actually yeah. challenge the dog mm-hmm. and give him a little bit of something to. The to- mind and body have to be in sync with each other. Yeah, and if when the mind's controlling the body, or the body's then controlling the mind, and then they're working in sync, you feel better because that's yeah. where you're supposed to be at. Well, you don't just go hunting by just close your eyes and run with the spear. Mm. It's like okay, they're over there. You're going to go this way and we're going to make the noise there. They're going to run this way and I'm going to, you know, like that's tactical. Well, you're quiet and you have to walk eight hours. And if you're a dog and the wolf pack, they communicate over kilometers and I don't even know how the hell they do it, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, that, and then you eat, you play around, you walk back to the den. Like it's a, it's a structure. So, um, so I'm not totally against it. Just be mindful of these things and know that if your dogs are fighting and they're getting up to no good, um, and they're, and they're making a dangerous situation. You need to know how to have this management plan. Let's just say you listen to this and your puppies are eight months old and they have fought over the bone a couple of times. It just means that there's no, if it's only for the bone, cool. You just don't feed them bones when they're with each other. You separate them and you just do that forever. Problem fixed. Like that. You know what I mean? Like, now, what, what is that? That's good management. It's managed. And I would have done that from the beginning anyway. Mm. And I even do it with Nookie and Spades. Now, none of them are fighting, but I don't want Nookie because Nookie's like, crazy over food and spades likes his food but if she comes up to his food he's going to walk away i don't know if she's trying to eat a turkey neck the size of her or she's been eating her chicken wings you know what i mean like i want to so i've got a my yard has a pool fence i've split it in half there's no pool one's dog land one's people land i put one dog on either side when it's bone night Mm. and i'm like the dog trainer who has good dogs but i just manage i don't want to stand there watching Mm. i've got other things to do so i manage it it's not a big deal i do that forever where am I? Easy. At? That's the, you know what I mean? It's like that's the easiest way to do it. Why wouldn't you just yeah. do it? And then it's like, all right. I'll or you could just back tie both of them or do yeah. something. You know? I'm camping. I want to give Not everyone home. has a pool fence, but no, exactly. back tie the dogs okay. so they can't hassle each other. For sure. Yeah. Or just have one inside and feed them and swap them over. Yeah. Oh, but my other dog is going to bark thing. because he knows he's getting fed. There's times where I want to give spades a bone because it's a big brisket bone and I'm not going to cut up small for Nookie anyway. She tries to swallow a bone, bone <laughs> whole anyway if it's too hard for her. So it's dangerous for her to do it. So sometimes spades gets his in the backyard, Nookie stays inside. Admittingly, sometimes she's, yeah, yeah, like what she did today um, in your backyard. She wanted to come inside and she was a little bit like, oh, I want that. Yeah. And I, and I could either say, hey, quiet on your bed. And that works and she stops. Mm. Or I just let it be and she learns, well, whimpering isn't going to make me, make you get the bone anyway. So mm. whimper and, and she doesn't do it that much anyway. But, um, but you know, like dogs are dogs and no one's perfect and everyone's got their own quirks and stuff. That's it. You got to work around it. And, um, and, and my point is that if you get to that, Eight, nine, ten months old, and things are like stressful, man. It's crazy. Well, think about rehoming your dog at that early age if you're not willing to do all the things because you don't want to have the dogs keep fighting, trying to kill each other, and all the vet bills that you need to pay, and then all the people that get bitten trying to separate the dogs. And man, it's just craziness. One of the episodes we're going to talk about redirected aggression and aggression, aggression in dogs. I think that's going to be our next coming up. Um, when they're fighting. Yeah, when they're fighting, or if your dog fights another dog, or they're aggressive you towards you. And, yeah. yeah, like, you know, all these things happen. Like, exclusively it's crazy how many times people get bitten when trying to break up dog fights 
it's like expecting not to get punched when you're trying to separate your two mates from yeah. having a blue. Like it's yeah, it's expected. So there's a few things for all of you, and we love you all. Thanks for listening. Thank you, and we'll. Uh... Oh, Americans, let us know yeah. what's common. You're walking on the right hand side or the left hand side of the path. I'm assuming. It's a right-hand side and of the escalators path. escalators, too. I want to know if you guys, do you stand on the left or the right on the- You know how, like, when you're on an escalator, yes. if you don't- So, you stand so people can walk if they're in a rush? Yeah. Yeah, which side do the Americans stand on? Yeah, I, I would like to know that, too. I'm, I'm putting my bet on they walk on the right-hand side on the since right. they drive on the right. Yeah, okay. Um, Just us crazy Commonwealth people that drive on the left. Yeah. In Cyprus, they drive on the left, too. There you go. Yeah, because they're Commonwealth. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, when so we Canada, drive. us, the UK. Yeah. I don't know, some Pacific Islands maybe. Probably. That's about it. Where else? I don't know. Fiji. Yeah, Pacific Island, right? That's true. Former colonies. True, true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've really wanted to cover this for ages. So, Puppy 101. It's a bit of a, done. like um, we were saying before we recorded, it's a bit of a mini series. There's already another Puppy 101, which yeah. is what to expect when you bring the puppy home. Yes. And this is the next version of that. So, once you've brought the puppy home, obviously you've got to walk it. Yeah. And we've discussed these things before, but now we went to a little bit more detail, I guess. Yeah. Things to think about. If there's any question about your puppy, like I'm sure I can come up, I'll keep coming up with episodes, but I want as much influence from people. People are listening. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing downloads every single day are happening. So mm. don't be shy. Reach out to us. We're just two guys with a microphone and headphones <laughs> and a camera and, and audio stuff. Um, don't be scared. Let us know and be like, hey, what do you think about um, about any questions or or, or um potential things for us to discuss i've been getting a little bit of feedback from people that i know and clients yeah, sweet um people are psyched anyway and they're, and they're listening to it but i want to um i want to know a couple of things because i want to get more specific um without being annoying so if you tell us what you want we can cover it we'll provide it's that simple that's it yeah all right we'll see you guys next time thank you for listening to another show of life with your dog please like rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips, and techniques, visit nooches Thank you and stay tuned for next time.